Well, if you've ever read that portion, you know, it, it paints it paints a gruesome, almost gruesome picture of humanity and uh, the world that we live in. Um, and yet, in, uh, in his play, Hamlet, Shakespeare puts these words in Hamlet's mouth during one of his soliloquies. He says, what a piece of work is man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty. In form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world. The paragon of animals. And he leaves us with a question. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? When we read this portion from the letter to the Romans, Paul paints a picture of the world and of humanity that really conflicts with what I just read from Shakespeare. So what accounts for the difference? What is the, what's the reality? And why such a, why such a big difference in those two uh, depictions of the human condition? Of course, if we were <clears throat> thinking about it in our own terms, and Felipe even said it, how accurate a picture it paints even of our world today. And so much of what we see depicted here in this letter to the Romans in verses 18 and following really do, in many ways, reflect the kind of world we live in these days. And maybe it's the way the world has always been. I happen to think that it is true. There's nothing going on today that wasn't going on. It might be going on on a larger scale, and we might know more about everybody's business than our ancestors did. But I want to read through this carefully so that we understand why. We all know, we can, and, and Paul uh, you know, enumerates for us all of the, the various difficulties. But I want to talk about why for a few minutes, if I could. Why are things the way they are? So let's read through this just a, mo- just a, just a little bit together more carefully. And maybe we can find out. <clears throat> Paul has just told us about the gospel itself. That it is the power of salvation. It is God's power for salvation to everyone who would believe, both to Jews and Greeks. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from his faithfulness to our faithful response. Because he's saying that the kingdom of God has broken forth on the world And for this reason, judgment is coming. And so he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Men suppress the truth. That means they know it. So you can't suppress something if you don't even think it's true. Right? It's because that which is known about God is evident within them 
For God made it evident. In other words, God placed in the human heart eternity. Someone once said that. That God placed eternity in the human heart. We're the only animal, quote unquote, that has that capacity. You know, we're quite, quite a level above animals, actually, in our sentience and consciousness. The fact that we treat our pets as if they're humans does not forego, does not belie the fact that we are way more than they are. I think, actually. Think about that for a little bit. So, it's evident to us. And so it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been made have been clearly seen, being understood through, understood through what has been made, so they're without excuse. You know, I, I had in mind to show you a picture. I, I should have done it. I was saving it for something else, but I was, I was going through the Internet, and I saw this blog on, uh, from an astronomer. And in it, he had pictures of the Hubble Space, uh, Space Telescope, you know, had pictures of it. So he had this one picture, which would have filled up that whole box <clears throat> and in it there are whole, all these lights different colors out in the universe there and he goes on to describe that the picture that the Hubble Space Telescope is showing us if we look at all of those dots and there were like 30 or 40 of them minim- uh, at least on there each one of them was a galaxy a galaxy that it blows your mind right out of the door because you can't even comprehend. Look at this little room, this one little room. You know? Or the city. It's big enough, it's, big, it's enough for us, right? Imagine 40 galaxies within your view. The space is it's, it's just beyond comprehension. And that's just one small section of the galaxy, one tiny fraction of the of the universe and all you have to do is stare out into a, a telescope and you see that there's something going on here beyond human imagination and scientists have to know this but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness why why it says for even though they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. They, they knew they won't give credit. We have an explanation for everything. Oh, the Big Bang, you know, in, you know once upon a time, everything exploded you know, out of nothing, in a spontaneous generation, which I was taught did not happen when I was in high school. <laughs> There's no such thing as spontaneous generation. Everything comes from something. And yet, here, the, the universe comes into existence from nothing. And they can explain it. I, they have an equation for it now, isn't it? You know what I mean? You know, Stephen Hawking has figured it all out. And he has figured, you know, he, he left the God equation out. So, it says, they knew God, but they did not honor him. They did it for some reason or other. And professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. There you go. 
So here's what I want to tell you is the reason for our problems today. I'm convinced of this. We exchanged the image of God in us for something less. That's what happened. It tells us that in the beginning, when God created man and woman, he said, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. So we have been given a stamp that we bear the image of God. But if we choose to discard that image and exchange it for something else, is it any wonder then that the world we build as a result will not reflect the qualities of God? That's why everything's broken, people. We've rejected the image of God. We want our image to reflect something else. And perhaps it has something to do with our desire for control. We don't need a God to control the world. We can do it ourselves. Somebody help him. Stand up. Sit up. If we reject that, how can we accurately reflect the truth about God? In the Wisdom of Solomon, which is an apocryphal book found in Catholic Bibles and in the Septuagint Bible, may not be in the Bible that you use, there's this section. Now, the Wisdom of Solomon was a book of, of the first century, second century. And it says this, it says, this became a hidden trap for humankind because people in bondage to misfortune or to royal authority bestowed on objects of stone or wood the name that ought not to be shared. Then it was not enough for them to err about the knowledge of God, but though living in great strife due to ignorance, they call such great evils peace. You see, when the image of God is distorted in us, we don't know what's right and what's wrong. And we'll call that which is wrong right and what that, that which is right wrong. You see, when we're coming from the wrong perspective, how in the world can we make a right decision? If you start off in the wrong spot, you're going to wind up in the, in the wrong spot. You know, those who play golf, right? You hit the ball and it's like a fraction of an inch off at the tee. It's 300 yards off when you get out into the space there. Of course, I never hit a ball 300 yards in my life. <clears throat> so that's how come things go wrong. And let's talk about what goes wrong. He says, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their heart and to impurity so their bodies would be dishonored among them. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's the problem. And so for this reason, it says God gave them over to degrading passions. You see, here's the problem with homosexual acts. Let me, let me, let me, let me be as perfectly frank with you. I had nothing against gay people personally. You know, I'm not going to tell you who you can love. That's not my job. Nor does the Bible prescribe who you can love. It doesn't do that. It does not say that. It says what you can do with them and what you cannot. 
they violate that. Because it's a violation of the image of God in us. You understand that? That's why God doesn't like it. It's not because he has something against love. It's because he created the world to be a certain way, to work a certain way. And we, if we're honoring the image of God in ourselves, will honor that. So if you're a gay person, if you, if you, if you find that that's your proclivity, I'm afraid you're going to have to be celibate. I don't care who you love, it's what you do with them. But I'd say the same thing for a single person, wouldn't I? If you're single and you love somebody of the opposite sex, you can't have sex with them either. And if you remain single, that's the way it's going to remain. So I'm going to give you the same advice. You can love whoever you want. God prescribes behavior because he created the world to be a certain way. But if we distort the image of God in us, then what we think is right will be also distorted. There's something else I want to say about all of this, too. It goes on to say in that same portion, in verse uh, 28 and following, it says, Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all, let's see what this is, all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. I mean, there is a litany of sin that doesn't, you don't have to be gay in order to perform. Let's not privilege one thing at the expense of everything else. Are you you with me, people? There's a whole lot more wrong with the world than people who are gay. A whole lot more wrong. All of them stem from the same, same root, same problem. That we have distorted the image of God in ourselves. And when we do that, we no longer know who we are. And so we make it up as we go. Oh, yeah, we're like that. We're all there, we're like that. This is why we worship humans and give them godlike qualities. This is why we worship animals. And maybe other things, money. Mostly our own desire for power. So no wonder there are problems in the world. But I want us to remember never to privilege any one sin over another. One isn't worse than the other. They're all worthy of death. You see, when God, say, when God says he's unleashing his wrath on all the world, he's listing all of those things. And that's why the world is the way it is. So until and unless human beings can bring themselves into line with the image of God in ourselves, to look into ourselves and see the nobility that is there. And instead, don't exchange it for something less. What human beings need to do is to strive for the divine. If we strive for the divine, we will find it in God. He's offering it to us in the gospel. That's what this is all about. We're going to learn more about that as we can proceed through this letter of the, of the, in the Romans. How that all unfolds. 
how God has released the power of the divine into the world for those who will take it up. And that's what's got to change because the world isn't going to change because we're nice, just because we're nice. The world is going to change when we are transformed, when the image of God is reflected fully in us because that's what's missing from the world. We're smart enough, we're powerful enough, we have all these things, but we lack one thing, the most important thing, the spark of the divine in us that we've exchanged for, what does it say, the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served creatures rather than the creator. When we finally figure that out, there will be a new world that will come about. What can we do now as we await the coming of the kingdom? In chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul begins to tell us, you know, after he's painted so bleak a picture, he begins to paint the picture of the way out, which we'll be examining in the next few weeks. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge uh, who judge practice the same things. Listen, I can sit up here and tell us that, you know, we're all, but you know, listen, I'm in the same boat you're in. We're all on the Titanic. And there's going to be only one way to get rescued. And that's for all of us. So there's no judgment here. You understand what I'm saying to you? I'm not judging you. I have my own problems. But we just have to recognize where the problems come from. And what we need to do in order to strive for that divine thing in us so that we can be healed. And we'll strive for it together, I hope. So as we look into this letter, I'm hoping that we'll find things that Paul was trying to tell the Roman people about how to change everything. Because it's possible with God. So what does he want us to do? Well, for, for now, we're called to an obedience beyond ourselves. But I want you to know something, that the obedience alone will not make the difference. I'm convinced of that. You know, Paul would say, listen, as far as the Torah was concerned, I was blameless. But in spite of all of that, I needed something more. I needed the power of God, the power of his Messiah, the power of his Holy Spirit to chance to transform me into what the Torah means to give me. And all of us need to find that. And it can only be found in God himself. No other way. So when we go through chapter 2, we're going to discover, uh, listen, we're all in the same boat, Jew and Gentile. You who have the law, you who don't. Uh, you're all messed up for all the same reasons that everybody else is. But there is a way. Because God has put his imprint upon us. And though we may have distorted it, it remains because it is indelible. We just have to scratch the crud off of it so that we can get at the gold that is in each and every one of us.
I pray that the Lord will give us that opportunity and give the world that opportunity. I do not want to see the world judged. I want to see the world saved. One thing saves us, and that is the love of God, which cannot be undone, no matter what or how bad things get. So there's, I'll end with this little portion from Psalm 8, verses 3 through 6. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. And you put all things under his feet. I'm guessing maybe Shakespeare wasn't so very wrong. We need to find our way back to the image of God so that we might discover our true selves in him. Congregation, it's the last week of the month, and as usual, we share Lizzie Crony, the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask some friends to help me help me with this. If somebody, if some guys could get the table, and if the music group could take their station. Need that table, right? I know that portion paints a hopeless picture of the world. And when we look at the world that we live in right now, it looks pretty darn hopeless. Every day you get up, you turn on the news, you read the newspaper, you read something, you see something, somebody else gets blown up or shot or whatever it is. And you say, see, it's all right. And we seem to want, we have this bizarre feeling that we're almost happy that God is going to destroy it all. And I suggest that that is not the attitude we ought to have. I think that the attitude we need is the attitude that Messiah Yeshua had. Was that we, the world is worth saving. The world is is inherently good because it bears the image of God. Everywhere you look, God has put his stamp, his imprimatur on his creation. And even though it may be marred, even though it may be blurred, even though it may be covered up with, you know, years and years of paint and blood, nevertheless, the image of God is still in the world. What we want to do is to help to uncover it so that the world can become what God intends for it to be and will have it be one of these days. And if there are those who refuse in the end, well, they will receive a judgment, but only after every opportunity has been given because that's God. Remember my definition of justice, which I gave you last week. 
right? Judgment, wise judgment, and mercy in combination. That's true justice.